0: Welcome back to the Anthony Gordon Show. So this is—I have mixed feelings. It's, it's an incredibly uh, nostalgic um, feeling for me to have um, someone who was a very good buddy during a law school uh, in South Africa before leaving for the uh, for the States. Um, we had a lot of laughs together. Uh, we went through a lot of the agonies and ecstasies of postgraduate studies at Wits University back in Johannesburg. And in the same breath as I was speaking to uh, Larry Linton, our, our special guest before we started recording, I realized that the uh, incredible story uh, that Larry's going to share with us dovetails with the theme of the Anthony Gordon Show in as much as at uh, the age of 49... And Larry's going to walk us through his journey. Larry was uh, diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. And now for our many listeners who perhaps best familiar with Michael J. Fox, uh, the sort of image conjured up in one's mind is a very debilitating um, way for us, for one to continue to navigate one's life. And Larry wrote a book, um, Shaken Not Stirred, an incredibly gut-wrenching sincere um sort of overview of living with parkinson's disease and as i read through the book i realized the different cycles of um anger uh, hitting rock bottom why me and then sort of ending with recalibrating changes and becoming i believe not only a tremendous Uh, ambassador and spokesperson, you know, for folks that are inflicted with with PD, but it's a bigger picture. And that is people, uh, all of us, who are are throwing the curve balls, um, who have setbacks, failures, and some are permanent, I think you learn a tremendous lesson from the response that Larry's had, the person he's become. And it sincerely is a pleasure to reconnect after all these years uh welcome to the Anthony Gordon show
1: thanks Anthony it's uh, great to see you great to catch up uh, we really uh, got a lot to a lot of time and and I hope we can uh, talk about things um I've known you for about 39 years and uh and you know our life went on different journeys but I'm, I'm very pleased to
0: reconnect fantastic. despite the circumstances <laughs> fantastic so Larry has known me for 39 years that's um being that I'm 40, you've known me since I was one necessarily. <laughs> yeah. So I, I tell you what I always do there is I try and put myself in the mind's eye of someone listening to the podcast and the first thing that people tend to do is let's have a context. If you could mm-hmm. give the, the listeners a context, a little bit about your journey, um, I guess your life, we can pick it up, you know, maybe um, as we spend time at law school in South Africa together, and obviously, the seminal moments of being diagnosed, and I think that once we have a context, uh, I'd like to drill down and discuss, you know, how I believe your story is germane to pretty much uh, everyone who's on this journey called life.
1: Yeah, thanks, Ant. Um, well, my journey obviously started like you in, in Johannesburg, South Africa. I was born in Blumfontein, of all places, and grew up in Cape Town, and I remember meeting you at Witts uh, University in, in the 1982, I think it was. Um, and, and you became um, a, a, a very uh, special person with your commitment to the student council, your work with the uh, Free People's Concert, and, um, and then you went to Harvard, I went to New Zealand instead.
0: Which is and an Ivy League school when you think of it. Yes, that's right.
1: And, and so I, I followed the typical uh, career in law, Um, um, uh, uh, Re-qualifying in uh, New Zealand Re-qualifying in Ontario, Canada And was trucking along my career Until about 10 years ago At the age of 49 I was diagnosed with Parkinson's So um, I always liked Michael J. Fox You mentioned Michael J. Fox Uh, I mean, I saw him in Back to the Future and On my first trip to the United States I had to find those same red leather Nike sneakers That he wore (laughs) In the show. And, and I don't know if you you know this, but when he was on uh, Family Ties, I yeah. tried to adopt the same preppy look of, of of his character, Alex P. Keaton, as a student of Lord University.
0: That's amazing. Uh,
1: and then obviously, when, when he got diagnosed with Parkinson's, I was sad for him, but little did I know at the time that I would have wow. something in common with him. So that's sort of my affinity to Michael J. Fox. Sure. Um, after so I was diagnosed at 49. At the time of my diagnosis, I had the typical tremors in my right hand and, and a dragging right leg. Uh, I knew something was up. It took me about two years to get to a diagnosis. I had tried physio. I had tried acupuncture. I had tried naturopathic remedies that, that tasted as nasty as they looked, and nothing seemed to help.
0: So just so- for, that, for, for our listeners, sorry to, to uh, interrupt the flow, at what point before the definitive diagnosis, were you presenting with something that you thought, either I'm just gonna ignore this or there's something going on here?
1: Yeah, when you wake up every morning with, with a with a twitch and a tremor, constant tremor in your right hand, um, you know something is up. Um, I came up with excuses. I thought it was coffee or my dragging right leg. I, I blame for the running that I was doing. But when that, that doesn't go away, um, no. You know something is up. So in the back of my mind, I had the images of Michael J. Fox at the time. You know those those uncontrollable tremors, yeah. the stiffness of a Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Um, so I knew something was was wrong, but it the doctors were not convinced that I had um, Parkinson's because I was a young guy. I was forty nine in the middle of my career. And the image of Parkinson's beside Michael J. Fox is that yeah. typical old age disease, and that was the biggest concern. So, so it was, is, it,
0: is it very atypical to present, you know, as a you know young middle aged guy?
1: The typical onset age is about sixty five. So anything younger than that, it falls into the young uh, adult onset. The thing with Parkinson's, though, is that there are a lot of non-motor symptoms which can show up years before. And before I had the twitching in my right hand and the dragging right leg, I was prone to panic attacks and anxiety and depression. And the research that I've done these days that that indicate that those symptoms are... Are, are symptoms of parkinson's years before you get wow. to the tremors by the time you get to the physical symptoms the research indicates that you've already lost about 50 to 60 percent of the dopamine producing cells in your brain
0: and so again so, the, the, the pre um the pre real shaking manifestation presents as a uh, a depression a it sounds like fogginess. It sounds like more mental than physical. Am I wrong? It it could be.
1: It could be. Those are indications and symptoms that it could be Parkinson's, but, but these typical, the GPs and and the the specialists don't want to go there because the typical image is that it's an old person's disease. So my mission these days is to convince the world that Parkinson's is not that, um, People can can see me and and compliment how well I I tend to look because these days and I'll get into why I don't shake as much as I do yeah. uh, as I did in the past is that this disease ha- has a younger face and right. there's an element of invisibility to this disease that I, I like talking about to right. convince employers and 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 other people that it's a chronic disease but it's there's a younger face to it.
0: So as you're speaking. I'm hearing that, and, and I don't want to impose, you know, my views on you. But it sounds like you uh, you subscribe to the belief that this happened for a reason, which perforce now puts you in a, uh, gives you either a a life calling and responsibility.
1: Right, but uh, I've only realized that uh, in, after about ten years. Okay, because. The first two or three years after my diagnosis, I, I was in a dark place. I, I became a recluse. Yeah. I went through those, you know, those five stages of grief, sure. anger, denial. And, and yeah. it took me about three or four years to come out of that. I mean, it, for me, it was easier to deny and live in denial yeah. Yeah. than live with the acceptance. But it reaches a point where I was alone on my couch. Literally, my family had abandoned me. Um, be, big, big
0: before, you to, before you get before you get along the coach, and I, and, I, and I don't mean to be, the reason why I'm doing this, sorry, Le, uh, is because this is, you know, I've done radio and podcasts for long enough to know that this story is going to resonate with a lot of people. So I want to just right. make sure that we um, don't miss a piece here during the darkest time. You're about to take us from the, the uh, hitting rock bottom and we're going to start the journey back, but be during the darkest time, mm-hmm here's what the listeners are thinking. Number one, how come this guy didn't get fired? Because he's obviously walking around like a zombie um, and not functioning. And how come his wife didn't throw him into the backyard, into a hammock and said, you know, it's, uh, this is ridiculous. Mm.
1: That's a good question. Um, firstly, I, I was very upfront with my diagnosis. Uh, I always disclose to my employers wherever okay. I was working that I had Parkinson's okay. because it was a way uh, of, of dealing with a condition that I no longer had to hide yeah. from it. But but that was at the time of acceptance when I started to do that. Okay. As far as my family is concerned, I do consider myself a very lucky guy. Yes, I've got a wife who I met at u- university, remember, even yep. at school, yeah. and and she is um, a tremendous rock. And, and I, I have the disease, but the burden... Yeah. is felt and shared by her. Yeah. And and she's in the health industry as well. And my kids have followed her in the health industry. So I've got my A team, my sure. health team at home. I'm their worst client because I don't <laughs> listen to a word they say, but I think that's my liberty to do that. Um, so amazing. nobody went to, went into the family business on the <laughs> law side. They all went to family business <laughs> on, on, the on the wife side. Um, yeah. But that was a way that I dealt with it because uh, as soon as I was – in a good position where my symptoms were under control, right. where I could function um, and, and maintain my job was at the time that I started talking about it. And, and when I started talking about it, my thought process became a lot more positive. I was no longer living in denial. I could live with the condition. And my career progressed, you know, sometimes I hear these stories that that on a diagnosis, it's the, it's the beginning of the end of a career. Right. In my case, I was lucky because I was able to, to work and became a partner in a, in a, in a top professional services Amazing.
0: firm after my diagnosis. It's unbelievable. Would, was there any feeling, and I'm specifically asking you this question um, in the light of a, a couple of the episodes we had before, was, it, was there ever a feeling of shame? Embarrassment and shame are two different things.
1: I, um, I, I would say yes, until my time of acceptance. Okay. I, I, I had shame because I questioned, you know, why I was given this disease. I questioned my role as a father, as a yeah. parent. So that definitely comes with guilt. I was yeah. the, you know, a, I was the principal breadwinner, mid-career, had a mortgage, had children to support. So there's there's tremendous shame that comes with that because was I be was I going to be able to function work continue working what would happen if I couldn't work um, you know the financial burden and stresses and strain so that that plays on on the mind of a young onset Parkinson's patient uh, mid career when you talk about embarrassment that that is something different I mean that was more the the physicality of the disease because people are embarrassed about the the tremors. So I used to clasp my hands together, sit on my hands, bury my hands in my pocket. But the concern I had there is as a lawyer, as you know, and you've got to, you've got to show confidence. And the more I try to disguise my tremors, the more I actually got my tremors. And for a client, I think that could be a problem.
0: So I've known you for, as you said, I've known you for a long time, so I think I can get away with uh, asking that. You've always had a phenomenal sense of humor. You've always had a way, you and I had uh, many ways of turning life in, uh, upside down. I, I, is there a point, uh, and I do this a lot in, in other contexts, uh, I'm saying this with absolute love, where you can take the cards, this new card, you've been dealt as painful as it is, and as part of you, which is normal, wanna say, I didn't order this card, And reach a point where you can actually uh, build it into the parody of life, build it into something uh, that you can, instead of, um, you know, uh, instead of this becoming the quote unquote being victim of somehow turn this around into uh, something that is more colorful, more humorous. It's a very difficult thing, but I I can see it. uh, Knowing your personality, I think that it would be doable.
1: Um, It is doable. I think my sense of humor has sustained me throughout this journey. And in fact, I remember the first day that I was diagnosed, you probably know the handwriting of a doctor.
0: Yeah, Uh, scratchy.
1: Yeah, and one of the tests of of Parkinson's diagnosis is a writing test. So when when the neurologist, after 30 minutes of seeing me, handed me the script, I looked at it and I said to him, hey, have
0: you been tested for Parkinson's? <laughs> he, he didn't appreciate that. That's and, great. That's and great. I had to change my neurologist. But, <laughs> That's uh, amazing. And that was that, that was as the feces hit the fan.
1: This is the first. Yeah, literally, literally sitting down because I find that my sense of humor, lifesaver, my my fortification against stuff.
0: Yeah, and I use it a lot. Even these
1: well. days, I, I come up with my top ten perks of Parkinson's, and my, my list continues <laughs> uh, and changes That's every day beautiful.
0: Time. That's beautiful. It's amazing. Okay, so the, the, you, you threw the cycle, the why me, you hit rock bottom. Tell us if you, what was it that really got you off the couch? What, I mean, everyone, let me rephrase it. Mm. We are, uh, part of my professional life is around professional athletes, a lot of celebrities. Um, I, I can almost think to, almost, all of them that I think of, something happened where they hit that point. And that was the seminal moment.
1: Right. The the moment for me, I I remember it. It was a Saturday night because my family had left me. I I was a recluse living literally on my couch, sleeping on my couch, eating on my couch. They went out on a Saturday night and and sitting alone, uh, I had this overwhelming sense of emotions that rushed through me. Yeah. That, that was anger. I, I returned, you know, I, I had this pent-up anger that I was carrying for two years. Sure. I started swearing and shouting and pulling at my hair and then became tearful. I started yep. uh, uh, crying and bawling and wailing like a baby because I felt so sorry for myself. Yep. Yeah, that's completely normal. But, but then there was an amazing third emotion and that was utmost calm and peace because I exhausted myself. And at that point of of, um, peace and calm, I realized at that very moment that I'd reached the point of acceptance. I was no longer living in denial at that very moment. I realized that I still had a life to live. I still was a father, a friend, uh, and a spouse. I I still had a job and a good job at the time. And I, and I, and I said to myself that I cannot any longer live the life that i had been living up to that time. So I literally got off the couch and, and returned to walking on the treadmill because by that stage, sure. I couldn't do it. So, but, so the, the answer to the question is, it's at that point of acceptance. Now in my journey and, and speaking to other people, that point of acceptance comes at different times. Yeah, It can, it can come straight away or unfortunately it may never come to some people who continuously fight against themselves. But my life changed at that
0: point of acceptance. So uh, let, me, let me tell you an interesting thing that I think you relate to. <clears throat> when I arrived in this country after graduating graduated from Harvard, I made myself uh, over to the West Coast and started you know, in, involved in the entertainment legal area. There was a guy who was pitching a movie. Uh, the movie was really the the story of an underdog overcoming adversity against all odds, pitched it to one uh, studio pa- that passed, Keep, like, literally five, six, finally pitched it to a studio. They said that we love the premise. We love the story. We prepare to fund this movie on condition that one of our chosen actors plays the protagonist. And mm-hmm. the guy was, it didn't have a dollar to his name. He said, there's not a chance. This is... So Sylvester Stone eventually went in and he pitched. All right, all right. Now, people don't realize when you look at the movie Rocky, it's yeah. no question there's a boxing story, but the but it's a story of the underdog. It's a story of, of right. getting off the canvas. And I think for so many people, mm-hmm. they hit that similar moment. I'm I'm quite convinced. Maybe it's because I know, know you and I love you for many decades. Maybe we both South Africans, maybe... So with all those bias, I think that your story is bigger than PD. I think your story yeah. is overcoming the diversity and people, you know, in me counseling people as a life coach, as a sort of the role that I play, it's post divorce, it's post dismemberment, it's post a person uh, losing a loved one, it's post um, <clears throat> a potential OD. At that point, it's binary. <clears throat> or are they gonna swallow in the corner or, you know, I've got to put Humpty Dumpty back together again.
1: Yes, absolutely. I think that that is uh, the case. I, the more I share my story, the, the more I realize that we all face challenges, yeah. all of us at different times. But what, I'm, what I've learned is that adversity is a better teacher than success. It's that one sense. thing to, to go through, through life. I mean, but I've realized that life is a series of ups and downs. And it's how we react and, and grow and overcome those those periods of
0: adversity, and that's why I think it's a better teacher than success. Here's a loaded question. Um, if I'm out of line, you'll just kick me from uh, from Toronto. From okay, if 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 dough was not an issue, okay, um, you've got a long lost un, uh, uncle Joe in Ireland who. Oh who uh, bequeathed you 25 million bucks. And if if it's not, how would you spend the next 10 years if you didn't have to worry about dough?
1: Um, My my job is to live um, a good life for as long as possible. I know that the Michael J. Fox Foundation has spent billions of dollars on research for Parkinson's and he's doing a tremendous job. But we haven't found a cure yet. And there's got to be a reason for that. And, yeah. and I do think the reason is that Parkinson's is a very complex disease. We don't, we don't follow a common thread or common yeah. trajectory with this disease. So I, I focus on living well because that's, those are the things that I can control. When I'm running and I'm biking or I'm boxing or swimming, I I take great comfort in knowing that there is a scientist or a clinician who is hunched over their microscope, looking at Parkinson's at the molecular level. And I'm very thankful for that. But what I can do is only do what I can. So I control what I can. So if you had to ask me to answer that question, I would live an authentic life as, as much as I could. Because I, I think, you know, the, the pain of a diagnosis changes your outlook. For sure. And, you know, people, I, I stopped chasing the, you know, the corporate bucks. Yeah. Because you can't buy health. But what yeah. you can buy is time. And what you can buy is quality and, and living an authentic life. So I would spend it accordingly.
0: That's beautiful. The 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 reason why I asked the question is partially whether you sort of, Identify yourself um, through PD, or I'm Larry Linton. This is who I am. Um, the, the, you know, I, I definitely, my life changed at the age of 49. But from the age of 49 onwards, it doesn't sound like you're going to say, I've got PD. And by the way, my name is Larry Linton.
1: Right. I'm thinking about a second book. You mentioned my first little book that I've, I've written there. Uh, my, yeah. my, my second book is going to be The Life and Times of, of Larry Linton, my life in law, because uh, it's definitely been a 30-year career, and my chapters are the good, the bad, and the ugly,
0: yeah. and,
1: but not necessarily in that order because I do think it's a chapter that I'm going through. It certainly has defined who I am now, but I am a, I'm a whole person you know, I had a life before Parkinson's, but my my life after Parkinson's has become more rewarding and fulfilling in many respects. Now, I'm not saying that every day is golden. They're, I yeah, mean, there's challenges sure. with Parkinson's. You know, I can run 10 kilometers and then I can't walk to my mailbox because I have instances sure. of freezing. But But I've learned to accept that. So I do think that it is now a, a chapter in my life and, and I don't know what's coming. Yeah. I, admittedly, I don't read those those last chapters of my reference book on Parkinson's because I'm still maintaining my quality of life as best I can. But I do think it's it's I was given Parkinson's for a reason, and I'm still trying to find that out. But I'm I'm motivated to share my story. And I do think it's beyond Parkinson's, uh, you know, to, to live with a chronic illness
0: is a challenge for everybody. So I'm going to let you into something that I've, I haven't said yet on this podcast. Uh, so this is first on the Anthony Gordon show with Larry Linton. Um, there's a team now of, uh, of guys that I'm working with um, on a TED talk. So I, we did a lot of research. The, the, I've done a lot of public speaking, as you know, and, and, Here's what they found, and I thought, and they just gave me the results this week. So it's very auspicious with the fact that you, on the show, there there is seems to be a theme with a chunk of the most popular TED talks um, that are that have been given, and the theme is people have gone through a tremendously debilitating. It's either a an accident, a disease, and it's the intestinal fortitude and the grit and, and who they are on the other side, which tells me if these are getting five, six million hits, mm. it tells me that's a story of the human condition.
1: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And, and the other message that I give to people when I can is, is, is not to wait for a diagnosis before living your life.
0: Beautiful. That's amazing.
1: You know, because I, I think everybody should live their life like they've just received bad news because it it focuses me that's very true to, to live in the moment. And I think that's the other thing that living with a chronic illness is you 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 kind of don't worry about you know, you don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. You don't worry about the past because you can't control it. You can't worry about the that's future. Amazing. You've got to live in the moment. So um, sure. that, that's really what it's all about, um, is,
0: is living in the moment. Intentional living is what it's all about. So if I do a tr- tremendous amount of public speaking, if I were to say to recommend uh, to one of the organizers, there's a buddy of mine uh, from South Africa, we went to law school together. This is his story. My only concern, and I, w- and I think that you would resonate, is that at what point do you say, Ant, I'm not a specimen. You know, I'm not this, I'm a human being that got diagnosed with something, um, which could be very sinister. You know, I don't want to be this guy uh, that people look at it, you know, and, and feel sorry for there's a life, there's a person. Okay. And there's a peckle I have to carry. So there's a a thin line there. There is a
1: thin line. Um, but, you know, it took me eight
0: years to get to
1: a support group at Parkinson Canada. Because up to that point, I was I was trying to get through this myself. Um, but I've realised that that Parkinson's is a community event, and really, their safety in numbers. Yeah, and the more imagine. we talk about it, the better I feel about my condition. And if I can help anybody with PD or in a challenge in life, then that's my purpose. I, I've got it. It's no. It isn't my story. No, it's, you're right. It, you know, it's a story about. Everybody's journey faced with an an adversity or a chronic illness. And if I can give somebody just 1% um, or change their mindset 1% to just start living an intentional life, that's, that's my purpose. I'm convinced of it.
0: See, one thing I like about what you're saying is that I don't think I I speak to a lot of people who define themselves and their life by their vocational calling. I'm Joe Goldberg. I'm a lawyer. Joe, right. you're a father. You're the yeah. so you you might just for the, again for the listeners' perspective, and I'm and maybe this is it's changed because of the pandemic, but your your routine and your day job is I assume still in the practice of law.
1: Not or, anymore. Not okay. anymore, because um, I found that my condition reached a point where I wasn't de- confident in yep. my, uh, lawyering skills. Okay. And, and I extracted myself from, from, uh, the practice to devote time to writing that book that I wrote, Beautiful. to um, writing, you know, blogs and listening and, and engaging with the community, uh, while I still can.
0: How, how, um, I don't know enough about it, but the, the medication that one takes, mm-hmm. is it, is it, does one find that you take a certain dosage of a certain medication and then you're cruising, or it's continually hypervigilant and it's a continued trial and error?
1: It, to a large extent, it's, a, it's trial and error. But yeah. uh, I'm, on a, I'm on a cocktail of, of medication that I take three times a day. Okay. So I can wake up in the morning and, I, and I'm stiff and I have cramping yeah. and I shuffle to the bathroom to take my meds. Yeah. But then I, I engage in my mindfulness and, and meditation while I'm waiting for those meds to kick in, which, which happens after an hour, after about an hour, I'm, I have fluidity, yeah. I can run, I can cycle, I can do my exercise. Yeah. And, for, and then I, then I have my second dose at about midday and then later um, at about five or six or so five hour I- intervals. By the end of the day, you know, I'm pretty tired uh, as normal. Yeah. But w- once you've got that balance, you can pretty much function. Um, and But it, it, it took about two years to get to that right sure. level because you have the on state and the off state. On the on state, I could be walking fluidly. Uh, I, I use my disabled parking sticker, but people get upset yeah. with that because I get out the car and I can walk. But an hour later, I can shuffle back to the, wow. uh, the car park. So those are the good and the bad. Yeah. Um, but, but I've learned to accept that. So the medication only deals with the symptoms. Yep. This is not a cure. This is an ongoing chronic, progressive, degenerative uh, disease, unfortunately.
0: So I, I did a bit of research, obviously, before the show. How, what's the, what, what percentage of the population are inflicted with PD?
1: Um, worldwide, um, by, the, by the year... 2040, it's estimated that 12 million people will be afflicted with Parkinson's. And that number has doubled uh, over the years uh, and will double um, from 2019, when it was only 3 million. So the prevalence and the incidence is increasing. In fact... Do we know why? Well, we don't, there's no real cause or one definitive cause. It, it could be solvents, yeah. pesticides. There's a slight uh, 5% genetic link in some cases, but unfortunately that's why we can't find a, a, a right. cure because we can't find a cause. So what, but it shares many, many uh, characteristics of a pandemic because it's indiscriminate, it, uh, it's growing
0: and it, and it tends to be expanding
1: in industrialized areas.
0: Well, I was going to ask you about the pandemic because i'm thinking the world is hunkered down um, and you' forced more and more to be in in your own company right. how 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 for someone like yourself has the pandemic compounded things or was it in a, in a weird way uh, almost yeah. a blessing so to speak that the world slowed down
1: yeah you know i I have been asked that question before and my, and my answer is that the pandemic has actually, in my case, helped me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I because
1: I, can, I don't have to worry about what I look like. If yeah. I'm off, yeah. I'm, I can be behind a, a screen sure. or behind my computer. I can still yeah. do my work. Yeah. And also the interesting thing about that and, is that the pandemic has uh, necessitated the delivery of health services differently. Yeah. Now we've got telemedicine, my neurologist on a zoom. And I'm doing the, the hand test and touch your yeah, nose and yeah, yeah. all of that. But the important thing is that they can see us in our home environment. And that's the thing about Parkinson's is that, you know, I in the good old days when we were seeing the neurologist live, I was only going twice a year, but I was going at the time that I was at the peak of my, my medication. So I used to stride into the office and, and, and the doctor said, oh, you look great. And I said, yeah, I'm feeling great. I went for a 15K run this morning. But with the t- with telemedicine, you you can be seen yeah. in an off period, and I think that's more important because you can really be part of um, this 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 life cycle of a twenty four seven disease.
0: So your... in a way,
1: it's, it's it's worked out.
0: How how old was your oldest kid when you were first diagnosed?
1: My son Daniel was uh, about eighteen at the time.
0: Okay, so he was obviously a, a young man. So he. Yep. I would imagine how how has the role changed for you in being a father pre and post?
1: Yeah, I, I mean that was some of the psychological issues that I had to deal yeah, with. Yeah, I can imagine what, very what tough. What my role as a father would have been? Um, he was obviously concerned, you know, for me to come home after the neurologist not go back to the office was unusual for him. Sure, sure. Um, but but I, I think I have installed some, some values. I mean, he does comment these days that I've got tremendous grace and humility, which he wouldn't have. He, he, he expected anger, you know, why me? Yeah. And, I, and I've said yeah, to yeah. him that I, I couldn't control that. Uh, so to a certain extent, um, I, I have to let that go. My daughter um, was, uh, was about 15, and, and she sort of saw right through my, my fake uh, assurances that everything would be okay. But when the medication got going and I managed to balance it out and then got back to my routines, um, it, was, it was easier for, for her to deal
0: with. So the, the, I guess the fear, I would think, is that no one wants to depend uh, – or be a, a, a burden on one's kids. Right. So um, I, I would imagine I, that, I, that I, played you. in
1: the. It, it did, but, but I think it played me for the wrong reasons, because I've, I've, I've spoken to them now, yeah. and in my role and my questioning of, of my fatherhood and the yeah. value to them was Absolutely. more of my concern they have always seen me as a father. Yeah,
0: it's interesting. And, uh, and
1: um, I don't know if I've shared with you, I lost my dad when I was very young um, no. to heart disease. I was six at the time. So wow. um, I, when I was given the opportunity to, that I could, so my value in them didn't change. It was my perception of my value yeah. in them, which I thought was going to be the problem, but it, but it hasn't been the problem.
0: So I'm going to ask you, a few questions that I asked every single guest. Um, I think this has become the tools for life that we 're trying to impart, so that I want people not just to have a interesting discussion but mm-hmm. they can take things with them because I think that one of the catalysts to us launching this was um, several years ago, I was a speaker at a uh, a, um, a Passover retreat with Ben Shapiro and with Dennis Pragan. One of the things that we're talking about was life wisdom. And I happened to make the comment that a lot of the the tools for life and life wisdom I certainly didn't get from the hallowed halls of an I League school. So here's one of the pieces that always comes up there's definitely listeners out there right now that are going to be listening to this podcast that have just been fired, uh, that have just been, uh, they've just gone through some horrible event and they frozen, they freaked out and they are saying my life will no longer be the same. They crank on this podcast. I would like you, uh, if you don't mind, what advice would you give to folks, you know, when the not, not if, but when the inevitable feces hits the fan mm. to hopefully make sure that they navigate through this in in a in the in the best possible way and in the most seamless possible way.
1: Um, it, you know, I would I would say that you've got to be true to yourself. Let those emotions run through you, but know that your life is not over at that time. That the pain of a diagnosis or the pain of being fiery is a passing emotion that you can deal with, and and. And your life may become better in many respects after that pain. You may not ever see it, but when I was in the darkest moment, I, ne- I never thought that I would run half mar- marathons, that I would play the drums again, that I would become a partner. I thought my life was over at forty-nine. Sure. But 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 I taught myself, and 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 then on the point of acceptance, had faith in myself that that there was a there was going to be a different. And in large respects, a better life out there. So in that darkest moment, there is always a glimmer of hope. And that's what you've got to always latch onto.
0: It's beautiful. And maybe a, a follow-up question again that I try and ask all the guests is, if there's anyone in the world, uh, for that matter, dead or alive, you get 20 minutes worth, who would yeah. that person be?
1: Great question. And... You know, the the real answer is I'd like to interview me for 20 minutes in 10 years time, because that's what I've learned to chase myself because I've, I've had Parkinson's for 10 years. My life was very different 10 years ago, but based on the success that I've had with my life now, I'd like to know what I'm going to be in 10 years time. So I don't, I don't want to sound egotistical uh, or big headed about that, but the way I'm living, I'd like to see where it goes in 10 years time.
0: It seems that the theme of back to the future (laughs) is, uh, is more than just a, a passing referral to Michael J. Fox. So I'll tell you why this is so nostalgic as I'm speaking to you right now, you know, as you well said, you know, our lives uh, wax and wane, and uh, I'm, I'm so happy that we've reconnected. I'm in the process now of re of being part of organizing our 40th year yeah. high school reunion for King David, wow. and there's a WhatsApp group, and I'm seeing people 40 wow. years later, um, and it's amazing because I think your story and the fact that it, – it, I'm, I'm just – sort of picking up innuendos on people that everyone's gone through some major things right right by now if it's 40 years and you haven't
1: gone through anything major
0: you're you're very lucky yeah yeah yeah. Uh, you know and i I think what what you've done which is terrific is while you don't define yourself by your by your pd I, i think that it's instead of being a stumbling block that you know Larry was there in Slager 49 it's a stepping stone right it's, and it's giving you a certain mission and and meaning that is bigger than you uh, yes
1: I, I'm starting to understand that it's sort of a, I've become a reluctant hero in this thing because yeah. I started writing blogs and, and wrote that book I didn't realize the the extent to which my my story would re- resonate with people but I'm, I'm, I'm very appreciative of the, of the positive comments that I've been getting and the support. And, and I think it's, it's a, it's a valid topic that uh, sure. I'm starting to develop and, um, and look forward to the future. I think that, I think my next chapter is still to be written. And, yeah. and uh, I think in all of us, um, you know, we've all got to live the best lives, best authentic lives that we can.
0: Yeah. So, The final uh, sort of question that I I like to ask before the proverbial curtain comes down is, so I want you to picture yourself um, at your 90th birthday. (laughs) The uh, chocolate cake is there with 90 candles. Uh, Your, your, your significant others there, your kids are there, your dear friends. uh, I managed to get an invite and the, (laughs) the, the boom microphones there and the cameras are rolling and, Everyone is saying a few words about you. What do you, what do you want them to be saying?
1: Um, I, I'd like them to say that um, congratulations, obviously. And, but I think what I'd like them to say is I remember you when you were, you know, 19 and you haven't changed And I think that's the test. I think that's that's the test of real life. It's not how much money you've got in the bank. It's the family and friends that you've got at that 90th birthday. And I think if I remain true to myself, then um, I think I will have a tremendous 90th birthday where I'll be able to celebrate who I am and have been and will
0: continue to be that same person. So I'll say this, that I've always had a soft spot for you. I think we've always had a good connection I think that the only piece of the piece of advice that I would give you as someone, you know, who's had a very colorful life, thank God, is don't shy away from uh, the role and the spotlight that's been put on you. Mm. It is for a reason. And I know as someone who's sort of, does a lot of public speaking, is uh, uh, dealing with a lot of people in pain. You play an incredibly important role outside even the, uh, the Parkinson community. Um, and I'll tell you why I believe that's the case. You, um, you uh, clearly are at a point where I'm not, I don't see a person at, the, at least at this juncture, who's bitter. I don't see a person, at least at this point, uh, who's screaming, uh, coulda woulda shoulda why me And Obviously that's been a process. Um, and, and I think you've made lemonade because I think we all get the lemons. And I think that that's, that mantra, that message is vitally important because it's a dark world out there. There's a lot of pain. I I think I travel and speak and have access to more than most people in the the journey that I'm on. And I, I think that one of the things that I feel and I see that people find most comforting is that they're not alone.
1: Right, absolutely. Well, and I just wanted to say thanks for the opportunity for allowing me to share my story. Uh, You know, it's one story, but if it resonates with somebody, that's great. Uh, I'll I'll continue sharing my story um, and and hoping to inspire others. So I really appreciate the opportunity to do that. Sure,
0: and 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 I'm sure to connect. Thank you, Larry, and and listeners. If they want to learn a little bit more about you and or the book, can you give us a URL and uh, know the best where people can maybe procure the book.
1: Yeah, well, the book is, is available online, obviously, Amazon, um, yeah. uh, all over the world, I guess. Um, my email address is larry.linton5 at gmail.com. I'm happy to talk to anybody.
0: That's amazing. Larry um, dot Linton.
1: larry.linton5 at gmail.com. And um happy to talk to anybody at
0: any time. Larry, it's been... Terrific to reconnect, you, you, uh, as I said, spark of joy, notwithstanding, uh, you know, uh, the bump in the road. And uh, I uh, I think the world is a much better place that Larry Linton sojourns in it.
1: Oh, thanks, Ed. I really appreciate it. And thanks for your time. Pleasure.